Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome listeners to this Mastering Life podcast episode where it is my pleasure to be welcoming back Mr Bill Burridge all the way from sunny South Africa or not as the case may be because I think the seasons might be a bit different uh, uh, in the motherland. Um, Bill will no doubt inform us of that in a moment. uh, uh, It's sunny today Paul. Sorry it's sunny. It is sunny today. We're in the middle of summer here uh, down in the southern hemisphere. The exact opposite of what you're experiencing I guess. Yeah, um, certainly in the UK, I know it's uh, very inclement with snow and the like, but uh, as we speak, I'm in Spain, so I'm probably enjoying the same uh, same nice weather that you are, Bill, in South Africa. <laughs> Wonderful. At least there are no polar vortexes around. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Bill, um, welcome back, as I say. And um, in a previous episode, episode 10, we talk about, we spoke about new insights into life's purpose. Um, what I'd like to do on this episode, episode 59, I'd like to speak, um, if we may, around life's purpose, but in the context of the six human needs. Great. Okay. Um, and the angle I'd like to come at that from, uh, Bill, if I may, is how two completely different people from different worlds, different backgrounds, uh, specifically me and you, have their lives influenced by these six human needs, but can still end up at a common point. How does that sound? Yeah, let's let's give it a whirl. Okay, great stuff. <laughs> so, um, this just for the benefit of the listeners that don't know, the six human needs is a concept that was introduced by Anthony Robbins, um, arguably one of the world's leading coaches, and. Um, yeah, he, he, he alluded to the six human needs that we, we've all got, irrespective of um, you know where we come from, who we are, who we think we are, more importantly, um, and we are governed by these needs. So um, Robbins refers to like four core needs, four basic needs, and then two higher spiritual needs. So if we can start, Bill, uh, by looking at the uh, the first of the four cores, and that's the need for certainty. Do you want to give us a little bit of a background, Bill, about how your how your life over the years um, has needed that need for certainty? How would you feel if I uh, step back just a little bit to give a bit of context around these these needs in terms of um, how we use them at New Insights? Would would that be acceptable? Um, it is, Bill, but I think that'll naturally unfold anyway. I mean, yeah, p- please. Because what I what I want to do, if I can, is actually use the the human needs in a real practical way. And I thought by us discussing, as I say, two sort of totally contrasting life experiences and different paths in life, you know, that the readers, uh, sorry, the readers, the listeners even have got something that they can relate to. But uh, yeah, I mean, it might be worth. Okay, then, Bill. So, give an intro then and a brief overview of um, you know from the new insights uh, 
perspective and, and introduce us to new insights as well, because I was going to touch on that later, but no time like the present. All right. Thanks, Paul. Um, I just felt that with a little bit of context around uh, the needs and, and, and how they how they operate in our life, it might be uh, useful to anyone listening before we go into the actual needs themselves. Um, just to start, uh, New Insights um, is, is a company, well, two companies actually, one in the UK, one in South Africa, um, that trains people to become life coaches through a home study program that we've developed over many years. Uh, so uh, we operate out of New Insights UK and New Insights Africa, based in, uh, as I say, in London and in Cape Town. Um, anyway, I mean, the human needs form a vital part of our life coaching system. And in fact, um, we have a, a series of 15 sessions that we take people through in the coaching program that was developed by New Insights. After the initial sessions around goal setting, we come to a very important session, uh, which we call human needs and balance. And as you say, I mean, uh, New Insights has a, a, a adopted the Tony Robbins approach of the six, uh, the six human needs, which, which works very well for us. What I wanted to say was, essentially, most, most people in life nowadays don't really know consciously what their life purpose is. This is something that we talked about last time. Yeah. And uh, because of the way the world is structured and that we're all sort of on this treadmill in this rat race trying to be successful, whatever that means, we, we tend to be reacting to the world around us. Uh, and, and therefore, our needs relate to what we think we want from the world around us rather than needs being uh, a product of living in accordance with our life purpose. So most people out there, I would venture to say, Paul, are actually living to get their day-to-day -day needs met rather than living a purpose-driven life that would ensure that their needs automatically get met. Um, yes. So we've become needs-driven people rather than purpose-driven people. And this is something we, through the New Insights program, we aim to try and correct uh, and we do it through the introduction of goal setting in the beginning, but that's another story we can get into um, a little later. So, uh, of course, if you take the Robbins approach, there are six human needs and, and four basic needs, as you said, and, and two more higher levels, more spiritual needs. And what we want in life coaching is people to be focusing on those higher level needs um, rather than on the basic needs. Uh, which need to be in balance before you can aspire to the higher level needs. So yes, you, 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 you kicked us off by talking about certainty being one of the basic human needs. Um, and, uh, and I'd be happy to talk about that if you like. Would you like, would you like at, at this point to make another comment? Um, yeah, we, well, it, it you know it, it can flow. There's no right or wrong in the, in this bill. So yeah, well, absolutely, we can go in on that. It might be just uh, worth giving a, a whistle stop on on the six needs, um, and then as you say, we'll come back to the first one, um, which as you say is certainty. So um, do you want to just give a just name the six, Bill? Yeah, sure. Uh, the the four basic needs um, exist in two pairs. So. There's the pair of needs called certainty and variety. I mean, I think it stands to reason certainty is all about um, being, being sure, uh, being, being certain. 
variety is all about difference, uh, excitement, um, you know, experiencing different things. And then we get two more paired needs, and these are significance. In other words, standing out of the crowd, you know, um, being some something or someone special. And then love and connection or connection uh, to other people. And as I say, th those, those four needs are exist in two pairs, which need to be in balance. Each pair needs to be in balance um, so that you can move forward and then focus on the higher level needs, which are personal growth and contribution or giving back to society or to the planet, if you like, or to the universe. So those very briefly are the, are the six needs. Excellent. Okay, so as you say, Bill, let's um, let's go back to um, to quote a majorism. Let's go back to basics and uh, let's start off on certainty. And if you can spend just a couple of minutes, uh, Bill, giving an overview of what how certainty is in your world, what what it's meant to you, how it's transpired. Yeah, you know, um, well, the need for a certain degree of certainty is is pretty fundamental for survival. I mean, I think if you uh, imagine feeling totally uncertain all of the time, it would be pretty awful, wouldn't it? Mm. So everybody has a certain degree of, of need for certainty. But of course, too much certainty is going to inhibit your growth. So uh, your ability to grow and develop and, um, and get on in life is really dependent on doing different things, uh, meeting certain challenges and, and a degree of variety in your life. So you need that balance. And for everybody, uh, for you, for me, um, for other people, Paul, they all have a different balance. Some need more certainty than others. Now, I suppose if I look at myself, um, I, I went through life with a reasonably high level, a high need for certainty, purely because my life was a little uncertain in the beginning. My family emigrated when I was a fairly young boy. I moved to a different country. I, I'm English-born and, uh, you know, now South African bred, if you like. Um, new school, new upbringing, new house, all that sort of thing. A lot of change in my, my early years. And as a consequence, because of all of that variety, I was seeking more certainty in life. And I think that's impacted on me, made me a relatively conservative type of person, although Although I do love variety, I do love, you know, different things, different experiences. At the core of me, there is a feeling of, oh, um, I need to be pretty sure and certain about things. So I have a, a, a need for certainty that is probably a little stronger than most people. Um, but, but I feel that it is, at this stage in my life anyway, uh, pretty, pretty much in balance. Mm, okay. Thank you for that. You? Thank you for the share, Bill. Yeah. And in terms of my own, and this is what I alluded to at the top of the conversation, my own path from an early, early age, and I know we've spoke about this many times privately, Bill, is completely different to yours um, in as much that my world was uh, from a very early age, from the age of seven stroke eight onwards, uh, was dominated by violence um, by cruelty, by abuse at the hands of my stepfather, not only to myself, but also to my mother as well. So that was very influential in my early years, my formative years, to the point at 13 and a half, I attempted suicide because I just mm. could not cope with it anymore. Uh, my crutch post-suicide attempt was the demon drink because from the age of 10, 
I'd started. My mother was a secret drinker. I'd found out where her stash was, and that was my uh, that was my crutch to help me survive. Um, because I learned that behaviour. I saw my mother do it. I thought it was getting her through. Um, it wasn't. I know that now. Uh, but I learned that behaviour, and as a as a result, I from a very very early age, I had. Um, uh, what I call a demon drink addiction, and that lasted for decades. So, interesting one there, Bill, in terms of how two different people uh, with no connection at all, family or peer, um, you know, were influenced by by certainty because drink and violence became my my certainty. That was my world. That's what I knew. That's what I was learning. That was my trade. That mm. was survival. That was it. It was that black and that white. Um, yes. So that was my certainty, and as I say, that carried on for a long, long, long time. So, just flipping um, over. You, sorry, Bill. I'm sorry. Just a comment on that. Uh, I, I was just thinking what you, you you explained the the violent culture in your family. I mean, perpetrated by I think you, you say your father. I think stepfather. Mainly. Yeah. Um, and and if you if if we look at that, Paul, I, I think that in itself was probably him expressing uh, a need for certainty through controlling behavior. Mm. Uh, you know, people who are control freaks typically have a very high need for certainty. They need to be sure that the outcome uh, is going to be within their control. Um, and, uh, and very often uh, when you get to the extremes, it, it can result in, in controlling behavior that becomes violent. Mm. And also, is obviously his massive need for significance, but we'll come to that one um, mm. in due course. So, flipping over, Bill, to um, the um, the other side of that pair, as as you quite rightly allude to, is the need for variety uh, or uncertainty, as some people call it. What 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 was your influence there? How did uh, how has that evolved over the years? Yeah, uh, um, as I say, I mean, I think that. Uh, uh, I, I've experienced a life that has had a, a, a quite a great deal of variety, certainly in, in my, um, my personal life. And then in my, my business life, I think that although I worked for one company for 21 years and another company for another six years, so I was pretty much a, a, a corporate man for 27 years, um, within that corporate environment that one probably pointed the fact that I worked for one one company for so long probably points again to the fact that, that I have an inherent need for, for some certainty. Mm. Uh, but within that environment, there was a lot of variety, a lot of different jobs. I think I probably uh, worked in about um, probably 15 different positions during that time. Um, so I, it kind of shows to me that Although you have may have a, a fairly strong need for certainty, you need to get it balanced. You need to have that variety as well. You can't have just one without the other. Mm. So, in terms of my own um, journey of variety, my variety was met, and I wasn't aware of this at the time. It's something that you know, obviously, as I've um, gained greater insights and awareness over the years. Um, I understand what was happening here now. I didn't understand at the time. I was I was a young kid, barely surviving, or and even a young man actually. Um, um, but what happened was my need for my drink gave me the demon drink gave me variety because 
I I had an addictive person. I developed a, an addictive personality. I developed an alter ego, um, one that when I was drinking, I was very brave, or so I appeared to be. What it was really was exactly what I've said, an alter ego to to say to the world, don't come near me, because if you come near me, um, you'll hurt me, because I'm vulnerable, I'm insecure, because of everything that's going off in, in the background with my my life or my stepdad. Um, emotionally, I was, I was uh, what I term, bankrupt, um, because emotionally I'd had so much taken out of my account, um, and I, you know, I couldn't match, I, I couldn't live with it. You know, as a child, I think it's our responsibility to nurture our children and, and, and our vulnerable uh, people in, in society and in our lives um, to get them strong. You know, we give something that they haven't got. Um, if we've got it to give, and I certainly didn't have it to give, and in fact, as I say, to use the banking metaphor, I was massively, massively bankrupt. Um, so for me, the demon drink was the crux. The, the, the violence that I was embroiled in gave me certainty, but it also gave me uncertainty um, because I never knew. I, I deliberately got into fights, usually, always with a male, always, and usually nine times out of ten, somebody a lot older and a lot bigger than me. Now, that was a kind of deliberate strategy to, I knew I needed to get through this physical pain barrier to the point where it doesn't bother me anymore. And that lasted for about just over a year. And I, and I did reach that. It just become totally irrelevant. Whether you broke my nose, broke my ribs, doesn't matter what you do. It's physical pain because nothing could ever match the emotional pain and the turmoil that's going off underneath. So the variety nice. for me, uh, Bill, was was the demon drink. Yeah, Paul, thank you. That's um, for sharing that uh, really in-depth and quite, quite heart-rending uh, account. Um, you, you know, I, I think it's probably very relevant at this stage to talk, before we go on to the other needs, to talk quickly about the, the what we call the four classes of human behavior, because yep. th this will help, I think, listeners to understand that they have a choice as to the kind of behavior that they're going to meet their needs with. Um, most of us don't realize that. We, we sort of just go about meeting our needs, uh, living unconsciously, just doing what we think we need to do to survive, as you, as you have been pointing out. But we don't realize that there's another way. Mm. Are you okay if I just briefly... Yeah, absolutely, Bill. I think, as you say, it's very timely and appropriate to enter that, uh, enter at this moment on that, yeah. Fantastic. Well, um, essentially, I mean, behaviors or actions that you take to get your needs met can fall into effectively four different classes. We call them very imaginatively class one, class two, class three, and class four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, the, the, the classes depend on whether the behavior is pleasurable or not pleasurable, could be pleasurable or painful, and whether the behavior is constructive, in other words, it is empowering, it builds uh, for, for ourselves, for other people, for the world as a whole, or destructive in nature. So if we imagine a class one behavior as being um, both constructive and pleasurable, this is something that you enjoy doing, and it's good for you. You know, it's good for others, it's good for the world uh, at large. And, and so these are, these are good, solid behaviors and actions to get involved in. 
And then if you look at the less pleasurable side of things, still sticking with constructive at the moment, we have class two behaviors. Now, these are behaviors you get involved in that don't feel so great uh, at the time you're doing them, but they are constructive. They are good for you, good for other people and good for the world at large. I mean, a very simple example of that might be, you know, going to the gym. If, you, if you're not really an exercise freak, but you, but you want to get fit and stay healthy, you go to the gym, uh, you indulge in a, a half an hour or an hour workout, which, which uh, you know, is, is, is stretching you a lot and doesn't feel all that pleasurable at the time. Um, but in fact, it's, it's really good for you and it's, it's contributing to, uh, to the world at large because a healthy you is a more productive you, you know. Yeah. So that's a class two behavior. And in, in life coaching, obviously, what we want to try and do is encourage clients to meet their needs through class one and class two behaviors. These are constructive behaviors. Unfortunately, you know, when, you, when you're not consciously aware of, of the difference, you'll find a behavior that will meet your need. And because it meets your need reliably, you'll stick with that behavior. But the behavior could be what we call a class three or class four behavior. Now, these are destructive behaviors. They're not good for you. They're not good uh, for others. They're not good for the world at large. But some of them are pleasurable. Um, and I think if you, you talked about the demon drink. Well, you know, at the time you would have enjoyed drinking. It was a crutch for you. You thought, ah, you know, let's let's have a few beers to feel better or whatever the case may be. So it's a pleasurable activity. But actually, you know, you do too much of that, then it's destructive. It's not good for you. It's not good for others. not good for the world at large. And then finally, of course, you get the class four behaviors, which you don't enjoy. Not good for you. Not good for anybody else. Not good for the world at large. And destructive, generally. I mean... And this can range right up to uh, trying to commit suicide, like you, like you just said. Yeah. So, so where, where I'm going with this, Paul, is I'm thinking that what you described to us is getting embroiled in actions and behaviors that were meeting, getting those needs met for you, but unfortunately doing it, doing it in a way that was destructive. Yep, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So that that was you say bill that was a, a useful and, and certainly a timely insight so um with that kind of uh different level or deeper level of understanding perhaps we could move on to the uh, the need for significance now bill and how that's played a part and and indeed continues to play a part in your life yeah <laughs> this is a difficult one to talk about really isn't it you know, I always <laughs> when when we when we uh, talk about the need for significance in coaching, I always uh, tend to use the example of rock stars and uh, and celebrities. You know, these these are people who really uh, want to be seen as standing out from the crowd, uh, uh, individuals with high talent, this type of thing. But it doesn't necessarily need to be significance in that in that sense, and it really. It really is all about distinguishing yourself, whether that's through high achiever ability or through some sort of kind of rash behavior that draws attention to yourself. You know, it could be either or. And, I, you know, for me, um, I guess like a lot of people in corporate life, uh, one of the things I was driven by was trying to get up the ladder and, you know, become one of the top leadership people. Of course, I didn't really ever get to top leadership, but... When I think back now, why why was I driven to do that? It wasn't really the money. It was more the significance. Mm. Um, 
being on top of the pile and being in charge, you know, that type of thing. And I think if you look at, hey, look, a great example today is Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he has a much, much higher level for significance than I ever had. But look at him. You know, he, he does, he wants to be totally in control of everything that's done and people around him. Um, not a consensus builder at all, really. Uh, and, and that just shows very, very high level of significance. Yeah. How about you? For me, significance was um, because my my world was literally black and white. It was polarized. Uh, on my white phases, i.e. abstinence from the demon drink, I would live a certain kind of life. And this this propounded and, and, and magnified even further the more I, you know the more the years went by because I'd created this model at an early age, um, not consciously created it, but uh, it was based on raw, literally raw survival. Um, so it was effective uh, in one respect. It was effective in the context of survival. So in terms of my significance, what that gave me, the drink gave me significance. Because one of my party tricks when I was drunk or merry or colourful, as I like to use the adjective, I think that describes a multitude of sins, um, would be to sing in the in a, in, a, in a pub that's full. And I fancied myself as a bit of a Mario Lanza in those days um, and could flirt with hitting that um, top C, that high C note. So, you know, depending on where, where my... Uh, my sobriety was at that any one given moment in time would determine how effective that high C was and would determine how effective the applause from the pub and the subsequent free drinks were. So it was a bit of a, yeah, I mean, that's just one of many, many, many things that evolved. But certainly my significance was fueled in my black phases, i.e. drinking, by, by the uh, the demon drink. In my white phases, it was fueled massively by the charitable work I did. One of the things I did, Bill, when I walked away from that, consciously walked away at 13 and a half, um, I can even remember the date and the time, it was five past seven on the 23rd of March, 1974. And wow. um, when I walked away, and it was... A conscious decision as I've already said it was based on that what we I think probably know now was fight or flight and I had that fight something went through me something surged through me and I just broke down as I sat there in this these caves in a, in a sort of a remote mining spot uh, from you know the area that I came from and and as I as I sat there with a the razor blade uh, I'm, I'm ready to go on my left wrist I had this surge through me, this warmth, and I just literally broke down and cried and cried. And this realisation akin to, no, I never, ever, ever fly again. From now on, I fight. And my first uh, awareness of who to fight for was my mother because she was taking you know, abuse, she was taking beatings, as I was, but she needed me. The fact that she was the adult and I was the child had actually been totally lost on me. I grew up within a second on that moment, or so I thought. I was now a rebel, both with and without a cause. And I was going to wage war on society. And particularly, every male that I perceived in my judgment and you know belief system, and I know New Insights covers that, but every male, notice I said male, not female, um, that was a bully, particularly towards women and kids. 
Now that was that that became very quickly my model of the world, and so, you know, my need for significance was in the charitable world, um, and and it's rather patronising now. But at the time and for many years, Bill, it was around I will fight for the underdog. That was my mantra. That was it. That was my guiding light. If I see injustice, I'll put it right. And I don't care how big they are or how many of them there are. I will sort this. Um, And that became my world. Um, So two very contrasting scenarios there of when I was, you know, when I was on the drink. Conversely, if I was drinking, if you drank 50 bottles in a day, I'll drink 100. If you drink 100, I'll drink 200. My, My cat's blacker than your cat. And if your cat's black, I've got two black cats. That was my... That was my be addictive behaviour and that was my need for significance. Whatever you, I think there was a song about it, but it wasn't anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. And that was very, very much my approach to life, whether I was in black or white phases. Uh, That's absolutely fascinating. (laughs) And uh, so, I mean, what, what brought about that sudden change when you were sitting there you described having a razor blade in your hand and all of a sudden you had this warm feeling flooding over you which made made you change um, your mindset quite dramatically. What, what actually do you think caused that or was it, do you think, some sort of divine intervention? I do, Bill, the latter. Um, and I have always, mm. from a very, very, very early age, had an awareness, a connection in its very confusing state to what is called a higher power now people will put their own slant on that that will be to people what it will be there is no right there is no wrong but i know absolutely that you know that connection to the higher power which i now term and i put it out there uh, is universe for me um and i can tell loads of stories about the profound effect um, that has had on my life continues to have on my life more so now that i've got that clarity around my purpose my my vocation i'm absolutely crystal clear about why i'm on this earth and why i breathe absolutely got it nailed and and know why um but in those days i didn't i had i had a feeling i had a sense you know people say to me why are you doing the things you do i don't know i don't know why i'm doing it but it it's just i don't know why does anybody do anything um, other than, you know, like you've said, Bill, quite rightly at the uh, the top of this conversation, uh, I'm meeting a need. Um, but I was literally well, meeting a need for the sake of meeting a need, I think. Whereas now uh, my needs, you know, my needs become the tail on the metaphoric dog. In those days, you know, the the tail was, did wag me. Um, yeah. And that, that's a distinction, obviously, that's that's come with emotional maturity over the years. But to answer your question, Bill, it is that connection to a higher power. Um, and I didn't yeah. pray or ask for that intervention. It happened because I now know and totally, totally believe that um, the universe has plans for us. This is my story. Some people will, you know, challenge this. And that's, you know, I'll have a debate all day round. There is no wrong. There is no right. This is my world. This is my story. I own it. I believe in it and I commit to it. But obviously the universe had other plans for me. And that's manifested, Bill, in my need for significance over the years by the, uh, you know, the charitable work I've done. And um, as I say, going back to my terminology, uh, fighting for the underdog. 
Yeah, you know, a fascinating account. Um, thank you for explaining all that. And while you were talking, it, it, it resonated with me that if we go back to what we were discussing in the beginning about being purpose-driven rather than needs-driven, what happened to you, whether it was divine intervention or whatever, what happened to you was you flipped from being a needs-driven personality to being a purpose-driven personality. Um, you know, for a lot of people, it takes coaching. It takes uh, it takes quite fundamental interventions. In your case, it, it just happened because of all the all that you've gone through. So suddenly, from being uh, uh, bouncing around trying to meet your day-to-day -day needs through all sorts of class three and class four behaviors, all of a sudden you had this um, amazing uh, um, epiphany where you became purpose-driven and you, you, you had a very clear mission which you needed to carry out in life and which you are busy carrying out right now. I think it's absolutely wonderful and I love the story. I have a, I have a similar sort of story, but, it, but it's not nearly as dramatic. Um, you know, at the end of my corporate life, well, I, w I was about, ooh, I guess, two, two, three years before my career in corporate ended. And uh, as I said, I'd, I'd had numerous jobs, probably 12, probably a dozen or more different jobs uh, with my employer throughout the period. Um, I'd always focused on doing the type of job that I thought would get me up the ladder quickest. And in, in my company in those days, they used to talk about the, the all-rounded leader. In other words, somebody who'd both been in the trenches and had also done a number of different jobs a number of different filled a number of different positions and was therefore well uh suited for leadership um so knowing that that was the formula that the company wanted i tended to get into a variety of different jobs in order to try and get that uh, you know in my cv or under my belt but um at about that time that i was talking about two three years before i i left the company uh the the leadership, and this is a multinational company, by the way, the leadership of this company suddenly had an, a, a bit of an about face in their thinking. And all of a sudden, they dramatically announced to staff that they had changed this approach of being a great all-rounded person in order to get up the ladder to being functionally um, or, or, or having deep functional expertise, which, which really means sticking in one job and becoming an absolute master of it. Uh, and so they sort of switched from, the, from this approach to we, we like all-rounders to an approach of well, we like people with deep functional expertise. And it kind of knocked the stuffing out of me because I thought, well, everything I've been working towards is just the, you know, the whole rug has been pulled from underneath me. What, what was this, all this work to become an all-rounder all about? And I won't, I won't go into depth because it's a long story, but at, at some point, uh, I, was, I was working in IT at that, at that time, and um, they, they were challenged by the company to reduce their uh, overall international budget by half, from about $440-odd million down to about $220 million for the IT division. It was a massive, massive challenge, and they were expected to do it within three years. Um, the leadership of the IIT group got together, and one of the things they came out with was, well, we, need, we, we definitely need a really good communications professional to help us with this because we're going to have to communicate with all our internal clients and uh, our staff and what have you. 
And I, like, like you, in a far less dramatic fashion, I had this epiphany. And suddenly, you know, I thought to myself, communication is something I truly love. And I've never really done a job in this company that I truly love, apart from one or two that didn't last very long, because I got moved on very quickly. I was chasing the ladder rather than chasing happiness and uh, what I really wanted to do. So, again, cut a long story short, I went to the I went to the guy in the top and I said to him, "I want to apply for that position." He said, "Well, what what, what experience of communication do you have?" I said, I don't have any experience of it in the workspace, but I'm passionate about it. And he said, I'd rather have a guy with passion than somebody with a ton of experience lacking in passion. So we'll give you a try. And that landed me a job that I absolutely loved. And it was a message to me that said, start being authentic, you know, um, follow your inner being. You called it the universe, you called it uh, uh, the creative force, whatever, I can't remember. I agree with you. I, I believe that each one of us has a connection to that creative force, to the universe, to God, call it, call it whatever you like. But you have this inner being uh, that is your connection to that divinity. And most of us spend our lives not listening to our inner being. We, show, we crowd them out, shout them out, you know, shout them down, and we, we don't listen. Um, and at some point in our life, we either are, are helped to listen through coaching or other interventions, or we it's forced upon us, uh, as in our case. So fascinating stuff. And just listening to you there, Bill, one of the um, metaphors I use in terms of connecting to a, to a higher power, whatever that may be, uh, and as I say, I think it's worth repeating, that's absolutely different for all of us. There's no right, there's no wrong. But I always use the metaphor of a mobile phone. So if we look at the self, small s, usually very needs-driven, very ego-driven, me, 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 me on a human level, um, as a mobile phone running off its own battery. Now, that's okay for a while, but sooner or later, that battery is going to run flat. And what it needs then is plugging into an external source for a resurgence of power to be able to go again. And I've... I think that's a great way of saying, well, why would you even consider a higher source? Well, try telling your mobile phone that after a day when you've been on the phone all day and the battery's flat. What are you going to do now? And I think that's a, an interesting way of What a fantastic analogy. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, moving swiftly on. So, um, okay then, Bill. So moving on to the fourth human need, love and connection. Yes, I was about to go off on another track and I thought, well, we better bring ourselves back. Otherwise, we're not going to finish the needs. Yeah. yeah. So if, if we can kind of, uh, obviously, you know, because I think there's a fascinating, from my understanding and perception, Bill, there's a fascinating conclusion and message for the for the listeners here in terms of, you know, going back to what I said at the top of the conversation how two guys, completely different personalities, completely different backgrounds, completely different life experiences can and and have ended up at a common point from different paths. Yeah. So, yeah, if we can kind of keep focused on that, then uh, that'd be great. Well, you know, I had a very different upbringing to yours, Paul. I, I was um, fortunately uh, loved very greatly by my, my parents and I love them dearly as well. I had a, a, in particular, I had a very strong connection with my father. Um, 
I had a strong connection with my mother too, but my, my, the connection with my father was something even more special. Um, and I'm not quite sure what it was because my dad was not a, a great one into doing sort of activities with me. You know, I love sailing. I love a lot of uh, outdoor activities, which he never partook in. That wasn't his scene at all. But somehow, it just the discussions between us used to resonate. Um, we we could we understood each other perfectly well, um, and um, I always felt very loved. And I remember having to spend a year in uh, in the army. Um, at that time, military training was um, not voluntary. We all we all had to go and do it, and it was just a year. And I remember going off to the army and how on the odd occasion I was able to come home for a weekend or whatever. My poor dad would sort of sit up waiting for me in a car park at the train station in Cape Town, um, you know, till four o'clock in the morning when the blooming bus would get in or whatever. Uh, he was just, he was just so kind and thoughtful. Uh, mm. And my, my mother was also a very generous person too. Very kind. She would give people the clothes off her back if she had to. So I was brought up in, uh, in an atmosphere of, of love where I felt very connected with my family. And I, I suppose because uh, of my good fortune in that regard, love and connection has never been something that I have um, craved. I've always felt it's just part of my life. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, and... Uh, I, I guess it's it's just uh, 360 degrees, well, 180 degrees different from from the story that you've told, and mm. I, I suppose I'm I'm fortunate. But then, of course, we have to understand that uh, you have taken some real massive learnings out of out of your childhood of ex experience, which have helped you to be the kind of person and do the kind of stuff that you're doing today. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So there's no wrong, no right. It's you know we all have different backgrounds. We're all uh, and we all benefit from from those growth experiences, whether they are painful or pleasurable. Yeah. Um, they're there to help us grow and and develop. Mm. On the context of my love and connection, surprisingly, was very polarized. <laughs> Seem to me using that word quite a lot, don't I? Um, <laughs> but my my love was for my mother. My love was for uh, womankind, not mankind, um, because I had set myself up as, as I say, you know, as judge, jury and executioner, particular to males that were older than me. Um, but women, that was a different story because I recognised their massive emotional strength. You know, that of my mother, she wasn't an educated woman, uh, but boy, was she some woman because... As much as physically she took the beatings and emotionally she took the abuse, she was not going to be broken. She was not going to be broken. She just stood there to protect me or try and protect me, um, you know, day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And she never wilted. And she used to say to him in a, you know, in a blooded face and, uh, you know, I, I, for the... Uh, for the sensitivity of uh, listeners' ears, I won't repeat the expletives. I'll leave that to your own imaginations. But it was something along the lines of, um, you'll never destroy me because I'm so much stronger. And that's my my love and my respect for, for, for womankind because I think inherently they have got that 
deep, deep, deep rooted emotional strength that, you know, if we're going to go back and simplify it, really make it really simplified through the sort of caveman days, it's like, I need that strength to look after this cave, to make a home, to look after the young, to nurture them. Now you just go out and conquer the deer or or, or bring the food back, whatever, you know. Mm. And, 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 you know, for me, Bill, although that does massively oversimplify it, I think there's still quite a lot of truth in that from the world I've experienced and the countless conversations I've had with so many people. I think what's happened, I'm just mindful of not going off too far to tangent here. I think over the years that those boundaries have got blurred and we've all become very confused about our roles in life, who we are, particularly who we are. Um, yeah, and that's why there's a lot of chaos um, but just going back to the, the 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 love and the significance, so I did enjoy a lot of love, um, albeit it was contrasted by, um, you know, the connection I had with males because my drinking was very much in men's men only, you know, to the to the point where if a woman walked in the pub, it went silent, and somebody would have to have a word to say, "You're not welcome here. Go home and get your husband's tea done. What are you doing in the pub?" I mean, it was it was literally as barbaric as that, and that was the kind of upbringing that uh, that I had. So my connection was through my drinking. The demon drink yet again gave me connection, um, but the love was provided to, as I say, through womankind. And it's interesting, Bill, that the vulnerability and the insecurity I would share that with a woman, but the facade I created around my identity. Um, in terms of you know roaring and getting in fights, it was just it was just that it was just a smokescreen. What I was really saying was, please don't come near me because I know you've got the power to hurt and destroy me, and I can't take any more. So let me get in first. It was almost like a kamikaze pilot mentality, and that, and that was <laughs> yes. very 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 fear based. And what I've you know yet again at the the risk of oversimplifying what I've learned now is life is an extremely simple game and it is a question of choices and it's a question of fear versus love and obviously in those days i was absolutely paralyzed by fear and mm. love mm. was just a sprinkling on top but there was no substance in the cake to hold it together so the ice in that was love would melt within two seconds because it wasn't stable enough underneath. Conversely, Bill, you've alluded to, you know, the warm, secure, loving environment that you was brought up um, in, or mine was just the opposite. So that that's my kind of insight into uh, an experience um, of love and connection. Well, I'm sure everyone listening appreciates you sharing in such detail, Paul. It, it must be quite hard. You know, just a comment I have, um, you, you were talking about your mother and how you relate to, to, to the sort of feminine gender because of the way your, your mother was. And I hate generics where people talk generically about uh, uh, things and I don't want to get into generic discussions about female and male, but it's actually interesting. I also mentioned that my mother would give the clothes off her back. I think mm. that mothers in particular, they have this sort of deep-seated sense of responsibility to their children perhaps more so than than many fathers do um mm. who are in the well certainly uh um used to be the breadwinners more so than than the women um so it, it just strikes me that uh females are, are right up there when it comes to sort of class two behaviors 
doing stuff that they don't really, you know, that's pretty painful at the time, but it's going to, it's going to bring about a good outcome in the future for, for them and for other people like their family mm. and for the great good. Whereas us men uh, uh, tend to, because of, um, because of the way that we've been conditioned by society, are often uh, tend to venture into the class three type behaviors, um, you know, the naughty boy stuff. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where, where the outcomes are really not not that good or constructive. As I say, it's a great genericism, but I, but there there's some truth in that, I think. Yeah, there is. And I take on board your point about uh, generalizations and, and particularly stereotypes. You know, I, I get that. I understand that. I do, uh, you know, obviously in this, as, a, as a coach and a mentor, you know, we have to be very, very sensitive to, um, you know, certainly projections and, and as you say, generalizations. But I mean, I think we are shaped um, by our life experiences to a certain degree. But I think what I've managed to do over the years, Bill, is actually detach from that and, and look at things from a higher level. And I often use the, yet again, the metaphor of a of a helicopter that's that's on the ground and it's ready to take off. And and, and as as I used to look down on on the field, I particularly focus on a blade of grass um uh, you know in in a field that probably contained millions of blades of grasses that were called life's challenges but for me it would be one and i would get bogged down on it so okay i need a drink now because i can't cope i'm into overwhelm etc etc and all the you know all the stuff that went with it so what i say with that is let's go up in the helicopter now and as you start to go up and look down on that one particular, or try to look down and focus on that one particular blade of grass, it dissolves into insignificance because as you go up and up and up, that blade of grass just becomes a part of a big green field. And as you go up more, it becomes part of a lesser and smaller field. Mm. And to the point when you've left the field, you conquer new fields and, and you then plant the helicopter down and you see new blades of grass. So I use that metaphor, Bill, in the to counter my own generalization of, you know, all women are strong. Um, from my own personal experiences, yes, it is a generalization, but it's one that holds a lot of water for me. I'm not saying mm. every woman is strong. Conversely, I'm not saying every man is weak. I'm, I'm certainly not painting that polarized position in terms of gender and strength and weakness. You know, we are because we've got feminine and um, masculine energies in all of us, whether we're male or female. Um, but I just thought it was worth, you know, kind of countering my own generalization by using that helicopter analogy and saying, do you know what? Yes, I was focused on that. And, and to a certain degree, I'm aware, still aware of that particular blade of grass. But do you know what? It's part of a bigger field and part of many fields in life's um, life's landscape, if that makes sense. Uh, uh, at this point, I'd, I'd like to invite you formally to become the analogy writer for New Insights. Okay. <laughs> You've got some great ones. <laughs> okay, it's it's a position I accept with uh, with gratitude. <laughs> um, so yeah, okay. So um, right, moving on then, Bill. So they're the four um, the four core human needs of certainty, uncertainty brackets, variety, significance, and then fourthly. The, the love and connection. So now we're moving on to the um, the growth 
the penultimate one, the uh, the first of the uh, spiritual needs, uh, as Robbins calls them or alludes to them, um, the growth one. So this is where, Bill, I think, and you know, you you know, you flatteringly sort of. Uh, uh, alluded to the uh, the analogy if I can offer another one now and we look at a house and we've got two end walls and one of those end walls is called Bill and the other one of the end walls is called Paul so they're very polarized using the word again <laughs> um, but there comes a point where that that sort of uh, that distance stops and there needs to come to a point where something brings them together and that's a metaphoric roof so you imagine a roof starts at one end of the wall called bill the other one end of the roof starts at a wall called paul and it comes to a to a point at the top which is the highest human need which we'll come to in a moment so the start of that roof for us bill i believe is growth we're starting to put a roof onto our lives um, collectively now because we've given individual insights around our core human needs being met so i think this is where we kind of come together now as a collective yeah In i totally agree with you and i i think there's a big difference between personal growth that is uh acted out consciously to use that word again as opposed to personal growth that happens almost unconsciously you know we all grow and develop through the experiences and events that we, we have to go through. But some of us do so consciously. We, we're well aware of it and we use it and we harness it and we build on it. Um, and we use it to best effect uh, in, in, the, in the world. And, and that's the point where I, I would like to think both you and I are at the moment, Paul, because we both have very clear missions, very clear understanding of what it is we're here to do. And that helps us to seek out and build on the kind of growth that we need to do that. Whereas, you know, growth that is, that is unconscious, that, that just happens as a sort of a natural effect of living, um, often is, is slightly wasted because it's not used uh, in order to help promote the world at large. Growth. It, I, I guess it really it really segues straight into the conversation about contribution, doesn't it? Yes, it does, Bill. Yeah, um, because I think growth. It, yes, it does naturally. Um, okay, so to the 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 metaphoric then top of the roof, the apex of the roof, which is where Bill and Paul come together, and for Bill and Paul, read that we could you know we could be talking about anybody because i believe that this is we are really getting to our life's purpose now you know in terms of contribution why are we on this earth what is the point whether mm. you're talking at a, a sort of you know meeting my needs here and now you know a hedonistic life just about me 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 self uh, bracket small s or self higher level why why are we here who am i uh, who am I? What, what? What's the point? What's my purpose? I'm, I'm sort of in the in the process now of writing my second book, and the opening page starts with those three simple words: "Who am I?" And that sets the tone. Now, I don't want to kind of go into that, uh, Bill, because obviously that will detract from the focus of what we're speaking about here, i.e., life's life's purpose and the six human needs. But in terms of contribution, and if I can sort of be allowed, Bill, to continue the flow. And I know we've kind of 
you know, um, so far gone for you, gone gone to me. But if I can book that trend and say, right, can I carry the flow and say that my contribution has been and my purpose has been from a very, very early age to serve. I've swapped that patronising mantle of um, I'm fighting for the underdog to the more realisation and truth of um, I'm here to serve. That is it. I am here to serve. Which mm-hmm. kind of brings my around my three pillars of you know uh, the three P's: purpose, prosperity, and philanthropy. And the purpose is what we're talking about. We have to have a reason. What is our reason? There's there's another more. There's a bigger question underneath that. Who am I? But that's another time, another place. But that purpose. Yeah. But purpose is not enough. We need to actually enjoy and live and, and, and embrace that natural state of happiness that we have rather than looking external for happiness. Because if we look external for anything in life, we're going to be very, very disappointed because it will disappoint. For me, the big, big, big lesson I've learned is to take that power back, have that clarity of purpose and and live it, but enjoy it as well. Because, you know, like yourself, Bill, you know, I've been on the academic journey. I've got a, you know, a couple of degrees. I've got a master's degree. I've got this. I've done that. And all these kind of things that on paper look good. The reality is I haven't enjoyed any of it. I've done it because it's given me significance in the past. I needed that security. I needed that tangibility of a paper from one of the best business schools in the UK to say, oh, this guy's got a master's. It was an ego trip when I look back retrospectively. What I'm into now and understanding is forget all that external, those silver trinkets that glitter because they don't glitter in the dark. And, you know, darkness, <laughs> you know, that, that that accounts for quite a bit of challenges in our life. That's going to come and that's going to go. It's how we angle it. And so for me, Bill, the, the contribution, the, the steadfast contribution is I am here to serve. That is it, period. Fabulous. It's, it's just so uh, inspiring, if I can put it that way, to, to hear somebody who is so absolutely dedicated to their purpose and understands it with crystal clarity. Um, it, it, it is part of the, or it's actually a fundamental part of the coaching program that, that New Insight puts out, is to help people to find their life purpose. It doesn't always happen... Um, straight away, you know, within the, the, the first 15 session coaching program, sometimes it takes a little longer. For some people, their purpose is really deeply buried. Uh, they become so uh, involved in, in what you would call the external world activities and everything going on around them and trying to meet the demands and pressures and um, the requirements of everybody else out there that they really have lost sight of who they are. I think you just said the first three words of your book absolutely spot on there. Most people don't know who they are and what they're here for. Um, But once you do find your purpose in life, and there are techniques, as you know, Paul, that that can help us with that. Um, it, It suddenly, the world becomes a wonderful place. Uh, there's a change in attitude and a change in outlook that happens that is just so amazing. I, f- I found it myself. Uh, again, it's uh, quite a long story, and I know we're right at the end of our conversation, or getting close to the end of our conversation, so we won't go into great detail, but 
for me, um, finding my purpose was brought on by the realization that I had to, that I was going to leave uh, the corporate entity that I worked for for so many years and that um, my wife and kids wanted to come back to South Africa and uh, there was no corporate job here, no obvious corporate job here for me in South Africa, not the kind of thing that I wanted. And I had to set about setting up my own business. And that basically forced me to start thinking about who am I, what do I want? And with the help of the, the, the coaching that I got from New Insights at the time, I discovered my, my purpose, which is a very simple one like yours. My, my purpose is to inspire others to be the best they can be. And um, I realized all of a sudden that I've been doing this all my life, but unconsciously, you know, I wanted to get into leadership positions because I believe I was a great inspirer. I built teams of people who loved working for me, I think, because they felt inspired by it. Um, and and that, that, that has been my mission. And now that I'm aware of it, now that I can, you know, actively pursue that, life just feels so great. Do I make a fortune? No, I don't. Uh, I make less money than I made in corporate life, a lot less actually. Um, but I'm much happier. I'm much more focused. And uh, a life has so much more meaning and is so much more fulfilling. And, and, and clearly, you know, uh, that purpose, like your purpose, and like pretty much everybody else's purpose when they come down to defining it, is to contribute back in some way or shape or form. And I think that uh, we are, an, if you look at us from a universe point of view, we are an evolving, expanding universe. And our role as people, as individuals, is to contribute to the expansion and the evolution of our universe and our planet specifically. And uh, each one of us has a role to play, yeah. a very important role to play. So, you know, my... my my passionate uh, plea to everybody out there who has not discovered their life purpose is to spend some time, take a little time out and, and, and do it. Change your life forever in an amazing ways. And I absolutely, well, you know, Bill, to say I agree with that would, would be a massive understatement. Um, I think... You know, yet again, in my newly um, appointed role as the uh, the official New Insights, um, one that provides analogies, I'll, I'll give another one, that our lives are like, we're like, um, we're like jigsaw puzzles and every one of us has, has got a box with loads of different pieces in. But as is the way, um, as we travel through life, it's been shook up quite a lot and the pieces are not, you know, they're, they're all over the place, but they're inside the box. And I think by doing a coaching program and gaining new insights and having particularly a mentor or a coach to help you to piece those pieces together, your life then became becomes quite clear in terms of its picture. But it doesn't end there because the reality is if you don't like that picture... Go and get a new. Go and get a new jigsaw. Go and get a new jigsaw. <laughs> and it. And the master you know, of analogies. That's what we're going to call you. <laughs> I've been called other things, Bill. That's very pleasant <laughs> and polite. So I'll, uh, that's a big. That's a big progress step. I'll accept that one. <laughs> the only way is up. Okay. Um, right. So by way of bringing to a um, a conclusion, uh, Bill, there is a kind of message I want to say right until the very end. But um, so how can people get hold of you? Um, 
I'm going to encourage listeners as well to revert back to episode 10, uh, where we spoke about uh, the new insights into life's purpose. That was a great that was a great episode. So, uh, and all uh, Bill's contact details are, are on there. But just for the, the sake of refreshing, Bill, how can people get hold of you? Oh, well, um, probably the website is the best. Unfortunately, it's quite a lengthy uh, URL. Um, my company's name is New Insights. And uh, here in South Africa, it's called New Insights Africa. And in the UK, it's called New Insights UK. And uh, the website is, uh, there are two websites, a UK website and a South African website. The website's pretty pretty similar, the URL. It's life-coach-training-either-sa or uk.com. Lifecoachtrainingsa.com, lifecoachtraininguk.com. Yeah, and I just uh, uh, a final thought from my side before you wrap up, Paul. Um, people might say, "Well, how the hell do I find my life purpose?" I, uh, you know, what what is that all about? Well, you, you could go to a new Insight Certified Life Coach; they they'll help you through the process. But uh, let me let me put some simple proposition to you, and and this uh, comes with the help of my darling wife Jenny, who um, came up with a very simple approach to to purpose. Uh, she said to me once, she said, you know, you talk to people about purpose and sometimes their eyes glaze over because they don't really know what you're talking about. But ask them what gift they have. And mm. a lot of people will lighten up and say, oh, yeah, I have, a, I have a gift. I have a talent. I have an attribute that is, that is quite special. All of us do, of course. Um, they vary from person to person, but all of us have some sort of special gift. And people will talk about their special gifts. And really, your purpose is really just the way in which you use that special gift and what, you, what you're going to contribute uh, through using that gift. So th- th- there's a thought that people would take away. And it's a very them. pertinent one, Bill. And, and it is, as you say, you know, we can do, we can get coaching qualifications and, and you know, obviously, as, as a new insights uh, VIP coach, you know, I, I fully, fully endorse it. Uh, that, that goes without saying. But what you've just said there is is absolutely right because you know no matter what that role is that that, that gives us that uh, that inner inner happiness who we are that alignment with who we are that is absolutely key and I speak from experience when I say no amount of qualifications or pieces of paper and I've got loads of the damn things will ever 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 substitute for that uh, that inner happiness. Okay, thank you for that, Bill. I just want to finish off, if I can, with this thought, and it's this. As you say, we've used many analogies. I've used a lot of metaphors, and I want to offer a simple 12-word insight around your brand, which is New Insights, and mine, which is Hearts, and Hearts being an acronym for helping everybody achieve results towards success which is actually a bit of a misnomer because success is already within us. It's those pieces in the box that are all over the place. We just need to piece them together. So use the example, Bill, previously about the two ends of the uh, the wall, one called Bill, one called Paul. And then we've, we've through the higher needs, we've spoken very, very, well, we've touched on the word growth and we've spoken a little bit um, around contribution. But at the top of that roof, you would assume that there's a chimney. So I think if you can visualize two Indian elders 
having a bit of a powwow on the top of the roof, right at the apex, next to the chimney, and the chimney's smoking, and these two Indian elders are swapping the pipes of peace, and one's talking about great new insights, and the other one's very emotional, talking about hearts. And they say to each other, right, okay, so how can we combine what we're doing? So I offer these 12 words. One key way to gain new insights is by embracing our hearts. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. <laughs> so um, anyway, listeners, I uh, a, bit of, a bit of fun thrown in there at the end. So I hope, um, and, I, and I, I really do hope that it's been useful to, uh, you know, to, to listen to, to Bill and myself share our in, insights um, around, around, you know, the six human needs particularly, and in a more general sense, life's purpose. The latter is a massive, massive area, and there is no way that, you know, we're, we're ever going to sort of scratch the surface in, in an hour uh, we could be on for a week, we could be on for a month, we could be on for a year. We'll probably still not even scratch the surface. But hopefully we've given you some 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 food for thought and something to um yeah, something to inspire you. So last word to yourself, Bill, before we do sign off. Oh, I just want to say that uh, as as always, it's um, it's a great pleasure talking with you, um, Paul, rather than to you. Uh, I think that, um, as you said before, we, we come from very, very different backgrounds, uh, extremely different backgrounds, but we're both in a very similar space at the moment. And it's, uh, it's very pleasing and very rewarding to be able to share a platform with you and, uh, and talk about a common subject that we're passionate about. Thank you for the opportunity. My pleasure, Bill, and thank you. So there you have it, listeners. That um, that concludes this episode of, of Mastering Life. And um, until the t- till the next time, remember, Mastering Life starts by embracing our hearts. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.